0: the message this morning i've called it life or death what an ominous title right it's ominous because it brings a seriousness to what we're about to look at second kings chapter 5 is where we're going to be looking this morning and it's a large chapter so i'm going to but it's familiar i think most of you have heard these this in uh, as you've been growing up and it's familiar so um, i just want to share this morning my study in god's word and uh, it tells us of the events of a bad man who was made good he received life and a good man quotes who was bad and he received death as i looked at this i was just by the record of God's grace in this text. How God teaches his people of old, the Jewish people, in real life events, real people, he shows them, he reveals to them his grace. Remember what grace is? It's a gift. It's an undeserved, unmerited gift. A gift that, if received, changes everything. So, my question as I start, I want to ask you to ponder this. What would make you happy? What would make you happy? What would it take? Wherever you are and whatever circumstances you find yourselves right now. And as we look at this text, my prayer is that you will allow God's word to shape the answer that you form in your heart. Remember this verse? Pastor Jeremy covered it, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, and through endurance, and through the encouragement of the Scriptures that we might have hope, that we might have hope. My focus this morning is that hope, that hope. What is that hope? Well, we we refer to it often as faith. An expectant faith. Now that may seem redundant to you as as you have come to Christ and you've claimed his forgiveness through your faith in God, through his work on the cross, not anything that you could do, it's unmerited, but he promises that as you come to him in repentance, turning from yourself, from your ways, from your being the boss, that he will give you forgiveness for your sins. All of them. But there's more, isn't there? There's more. I I remember as a three-year-old, what I can remember of that, mostly what I've been told, my mom sharing the gospel with me. And what was her message? Her message was believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And if you're saved, you'll get to go to heaven. Heaven. There's an eternity that awaits. There's an expectant hope. Our faith is not just for for the here and now, but forever. And it's it's going to be fulfilled. God is going to fulfill his promise in all eternity. And as I looked at this text, that was a challenge to my heart. I needed that reminder. So we're coming to to this text with that in mind. There's a hope. And it's not just for here and now, but it's for all eternity. I want to show you the life-giving riches of Christ in this text. Now and to come. And they're for all who come to God in believing and repentant faith. But there's a warning. There's a warning for anyone who would believe they would find life or supplement life in anything or anyone else. Listen to these words regarding faith, this hope, this expectant hope of those who trusted in God alone. In Hebrews, we remember the chapter 11, the chapter of faith. Well, I want to read to you just a few verses before that in chapter 10, all right? Just listen. Verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one, one that others can't take away. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. and preserve their souls. You see, our hope is in things yet to come, in God's promises that are secure, that are sure. In light of that, my first thing I want us to pay attention to is the goodness of God, the goodness of God. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at our text So, I hope you have your Bibles open to 2 Kings 5. But I'm going to look at that from a viewpoint that we have in history, looking back. And we're going to stop just for a minute in Luke chapter 4. Jesus has come to his hometown in in Nazareth. And he comes into the synagogue and he's teaching. Think of the goodness of God in that. Jesus, the Son of God, he comes to his hometown. He opens up his word and proclaims it to those in his own hometown. Again, listen as I read from Luke chapter 4. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And Jesus replied to them with a stunning rebuke. He said, Doubtless you will quote to me the proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, and then I skipped a few verses here to hit our text, And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. They rose up. They chased him out of the synagogue till they nearly pushed him over the cliff. And God brought a disruption in their, in their focus, and Jesus slipped out. A man I highly respect, a teacher of the Word of God, Greg, Dr. Greg Harris. He just re- has recently retired from the Master's College and Seminary. He encountered an Orthodox Jew in Israel, and he asked this man... Tell me, explain to me, I want to more fully understand what do you believe? What do you believe about the Messiah? And this man says, well, the atonement is only part of the ceremony God gave to the Jewish people. We do not believe we have any need for redemption. He began to describe his definition of the Messiah. He said, the Messiah will bring world peace. The Jewish people, as religious Jews, have no regard for Jesus, just as the people of his hometown tried to throw him from a cliff. And so we come to this just uh, dramatic point in second kings as god shows his grace to the non-jew dale ralph davis says grace is not based on genetics grace is not based on genetics isn't that a wonderful truth and where would we be where would we be where would my parents be their parents weren't christians They didn't hear the word of God until later in life and uh, came to faith in him. And God, by his grace, let me hear the truth. What a wonderful... as As we think of the wonderful goodness of God... How tremendous he is in revealing himself. So let's look at Second Kings chapter five now. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor. So Naaman went in and told his lord, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent it to you, sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive? that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he's seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So under God's goodness, we see God's sovereignty. And this is dramatic. This is dramatic. What did these verses say? Naaman, because by him... The Lord had given victory to Syria. What? I thought God was Israel's God. I thought Israel was God's chosen people. How do we come here to. the Lord giving victory to Naaman. Well, this shows us that God is in control. God is sovereign. He is in control of all people everywhere. He alone is God. And when you see this and you read the scriptures, it's all over the place. I've been reading in Genesis, slowly, and it's phenomenal as I've been reading again about Abraham and about Jacob and about Joseph. You know, all these stories we know so well, but you see, if you look, you see, because it's right here in God's Word, It's nothing injected by us, that God's hand is in every act committed by man god is sovereign he is in control and i want you to see i want you to see that this is god's goodness this is god's goodness he is in control we've been led to believe and in ourselves in our foolish darkened hearts we somehow think there's this We, you know the yin and yang where there's good and evil and there's this constant battle and there's this flux and one overcomes one time and the other overcomes another time it's all utter foolishness God is in control now the hard part God's in control of the big things the political things right the wars that are won right He's in control of a Syrian cap commander who raids Israel and steals a little girl into slavery. That's what we read. Yahweh is sovereign not only of the big events, but in the small circumstances. And God has a purpose. Look at what his purpose is. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. Here's a little girl from unbelieving Israel. Israel at this time worships the Baals. (laughs) They are worshiping God by name and turning around and sacrificing to idols everywhere, all the time. And yet God... Remember even Elijah? After he killed the prophets of Baal, and God sent fire from heaven that burned up the rocks and the water and the sacrifice and everything, proving that he's the only true God. And Elijah killed all the prophets, and he ran for days, and he hid, and he was upset because he thought he was the only one left. He did not see the revival in Israel he hoped to see. By God demonstrating to the whole country that he alone was God. People didn't stop, cha- they didn't stop worshiping idols. They didn't stop worshiping Baal. And Elijah thought he was alone. And God said, no. I have my prophets. You're not alone. I have my remnant. You're not alone, Elijah. And this little girl... She had a belief and a hope in God, didn't she? How else would she, in the midst of being a slave, think about her master and think that if her master would just go to the prophet in Samaria, he could be healed. She must have had a faith in God, an expectant faith that was greater than her present circumstances. Right? As a slave? Think about what it meant for her to be pillaged, stolen from her family in a raid by the Syrians. I mean, this, this is tough to think about. When we think about Russia right now doing these same kind of acts, and we're familiar with them, and they're troubling, yet we know that God is in control and God has His remnant, and God bore testimony of Himself and His power by this child this child who had faith in him whose circumstances her whose god was bigger than her present circumstances bigger than her slavery and she gave testimony to the greatness and power of god god is sovereign and he's good I read that text in Hebrews 10 on purpose because it says that we will suffer as people of faith. We will suffer, we will be called to suffer, but we must endure. Why? Because we have a faith in promises of God that are yet to be fulfilled. This little girl had that kind of faith. She trusted in God who would fulfill his promises. And she, that brought her to a concern, a love even, for her Gentile master. And she wanted him to know the truth about God. Can you imagine how, how frightened she must have been? And yet she bore hope. She was the messenger of hope. She was one of the few in Israel who hoped in God, and she shared it with her master. Contrast that to the king of Israel. Remember, we just read about him. What was his response when Naaman showed up with all this money and this letter from the king of Syria? He rips his clothes in in sorrow, in in anguish. He says, oh no, I'm doomed. Am I God? God? Am I God that I can make alive that which was dead? Now, wait a minute. He believed, he knew he had a knowledge of God that God was powerful and could make dead people alive. (laughs) He knew that, but he didn't believe it. He didn't act on it. He saw it as a personal threat, a threat to his people, a threat to his kingdom. What a contrast from this little slave girl to the king of Israel in all his comfort, in all his safety, in all his knowledge. He knew of God and God's power, but did not believe, did not have faith. commander, Naaman. So, Elisha heard that the king had torn his clothes and he said, send him to me. It, it didn't even occur to the king of Israel, oh, there's a man of God. There's a man who knows God in my land. <laughs> I could send him there. No, his, his belief, his his. His heart was so hard, so turned against God, the truth of God, the holiness of God, the power of God. He, he trusted in idols. He thought he could be synchronistic. He thought he could wor- worship God and bow down to idols and sacrifice to idols at the same time. He didn't, it didn't even cross his radar. Hey, I know a guy who knows God. No. So Elisha stepped up and said, hey, send him here. Why have you torn your clothes? Don't you know God? No, he didn't. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored and you will be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord as God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abanah and Parpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he went away in a rage. The good news of what that Elisha gave was infuriating. <laughs> the very first response, he was angry. Naaman was angry. Let's find out why. Well, first off, it was, he was humbled. He was humbled. Elijah didn't even come out to meet him he sent a messenger and he said go wash in the Jordan seven times the good news the gospel was simple Naaman thought he should put on the show here I am I'm the greatest man in Syria and I'm here on your doorstep and why don't you come and give me a show Show off, wave your hand, do the magic stuff, and just, I could be clean. The good news was narrow. It was narrow. It was specific. Go wash in the Jordan seven times. And it was also revealing. Elijah didn't treat Naaman as this great wondrous hero of Syria. He treated him as he really was. A leper. A leper. That's who Naaman was. That was his need. He was dying. He was a dead man. And Elijah sent a messenger with the good news. And Naaman was angry, infuriated. That's what we have to expect, that kind of response from people who are dead, who are dying, who are without Christ, who don't know God. It's against our humanness, our desire to be exalted, our desire to be great and known. God, cut him to the chase. You're a leper. Go to the Jordan and wash seven times. Wash and be clean. And that is the message that his servants reminded him of. (laughs) But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, I know there is no God in all earth but in Israel, so accept now a present from your servant." Notice how Naaman suddenly refers to himself. But he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, Elisha says, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. For from now on your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. Now this is a little bit confusing. Why would he want dirt? (laughs) He knew that the God of Israel was the one and only true God. And he promised that he would only offer sacrifice to that God. And he wanted to do it on Israel's soil. <laughs> he was committed. God transformed this man. And notice, remember what, how he, he, refer, he starts referring to Elisha now? How does he refer to himself? Your servant. Suddenly, now he's not the greatest man in all of Syria, in all the world. He's your servant. God has done something miraculous, not just in cleansing him of his leprosy, but from the inside out. God brings salvation, God brings restoration to this man. Whose servant is he? <laughs> Whose servant? In this matter, he says, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master, that's the king of Syria, goes into the house of Ramon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Ramon, when I bow myself in the house of Ramon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. And Elisha said to him, go in peace. His conscience was pricked. He knew his job. His job was to take the king, to guard the king as the king went to worship in this house of idols. And it strikes him. Oh, no. Please, God, pardon me. Please forgive me. Wow. God changed this man. He got, brought life to this man. And his conscience was new. It mattered to him that he worshipped God and God alone. And yet he knew he would be commanded to guard the king, to walk with the king into that house of idols. And he asked Elisha, for God's pardon. And what is Elisha's response? Go in peace. God has forgiven you. God has forgiven you. What a... This is a... What... Naaman is caring about idol worship when every Jew around him at this point in Israel, except God's chosen and those who had true faith in God, didn't care. They were worshiping idols willy-nilly all the time. What a condemnation. You see why the Jews in Jesus' day of Nazareth were so upset? And yet God was, in his kindness, was telling them, this is my son, this is your redeemer. Naaman represented repentant faith, repentant faith. He was turning from his worship of idols. He was asking for God's pardon. He was now a servant of the living God. But when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See? My master has spared this name in the Syrian in not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. Now, at this point, I want to draw your attention to something. In 2 Kings chapter 5, this, this historical event is not in sequence chronologically. Okay, and that's for a purpose. But it's important right now, right here, to point that out. The author, inspired by the Holy Spirit, had this chapter written and placed in this sequence for a thematic theological purpose, for a thematic theological emphasis. And that is God's grace to all the nations. Gehazi, well, we read, if you were to read in chapter 8. Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, is standing before the king of Israel, and the king of Israel says, Tell me the great things that Elisha has done. And Gehazi starts rehearsing, telling the king all the things. God, you wouldn't believe it. Elisha brought a dead boy back to life. He has fed people. He has made axe heads float. God has done all these amazing things through this man, this prophet of God. He rehearsed all these things. He knew them all. He was a witness standing right next to Elisha. Why do I point that out so emphatically? (laughs) Because here we see Gehazi's heart. There was something other than God that he needed to make him happy. And you know what? Elisha just passed it up. That's a lot of gold. That's a lot of silver. I'm not a greedy man. I'm not a greedy man. I don't want to be rich. I'll just just ask for a little silver. And maybe some clothes, some new clothes. That would make me happy. That would be good. He, Gehazi, was a servant of Elisha. You see where I'm going here? Naaman becomes the servant of the living God. Gehazi, who knew God, was a servant of Elisha. And Elisha didn't pay very well. (laughs) We've all had that feeling, huh? I've been in jobs where I wasn't paid very well. It's hard to be content when you know you're worth a little bit more. If, that, you, if I could just have that, that would make me happy. That would bring fulfillment what a lie a lie from satan himself that is the lie that satan through the serpent spoke to eve in the garden god's keeping this from you and she looked at the fruit and it looked good to eat and oh man if it would make me wise that's a good thing God hasn't God's been keeping things from me. God's been withholding. Is that the God we read about in the scriptures? No. God is your creator. He loves you with an a love that would cause him to give his only son to redeem you. To pay for the sin that you and I have committed. To offer you forgiveness. To provide your every need. Even in difficulty like the slave girl. In every situation. Some of those situations don't feel good. They feel awful. But God has promised to be with you. And he's promised to be to give you himself the greatest gift he offers himself gehazi thought that God was insufficient that he needed to take care of himself and look at the downward spiral what was the heart condition it was idolatry uh, he, like the rest of Israel, was worshiping, worshiping an idol. Folks, <laughs> I'm kind of standing here trembling because there's my heart, too. If I, and I need, I've got to repent on a continual basis. I've got to see God as who he is, who he has, as he has revealed himself in his word. He is sufficient. He meets all my needs. He cares for me because I'm his child. He has bought me. He has bought you with his son's blood. He will be with you. He will give of himself to you. Look what Gehazi resorts to, these lies. So so Gehazi followed Naaman, and when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me to say... There have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. You see, God's grace can be dangerous. It's wonderful because it's God's gift, but if you refuse God's gift, if you say he is insufficient, You have become a fool. You have exchanged the greatest thing in all the universe for something that moth, rust, destroy, and thieves can break in and steal. And Naaman said, Be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver and two bags with two changes of clothing and laid them on two of his servants and they carried them before Gehazi. And when he came to the hill, he took them from them, their hand, and put them in his house. And he sent the men away and they departed. He went in and stood before his master and Elisha said to him, where have you been Gehazi? And he said, your servant went nowhere. But he said to him, Did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olives, orchards, and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Was it a time... Was it the time? That's the cry echoing in my heart. Is it the time? To be working so hard for what this world strives for? What is the time? The time is to believe and trust in God and his promises. You know what one of his most amazing promises is? This is not in my notes, and I'm running out of time, but God in Isaiah says, I will not give my glory to another. In John 17, he says, I give my glory to my son. And you know what Jesus prays? He prays, Father, glorify those who follow me. those who follow and put their trust in Christ, he, God, will glorify. Is that now? No. It's to come. It's one of God's promises to come. But listen to what Jesus said. Glorify them that they may be one. That they may have unity we know that our unity as believers in Christ is a sign to the world, a sign to the reality and power of God and will point men, lost men and women to the power of God. Gehazi received the sentence of death The last verse, verse 27, Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence a leper like snow. You know, the things that we think will bring us happiness, the things that we think... god we need to supplement god with we'll only kill we'll only kill bring destruction bring devastation and as i was thinking about this these verses came to mind james 1 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to changing. This is so interesting because the verses just before it says... Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change you see sometimes we separate that verse from the verses of regarding temptation but really they belong together they they are a reminder that God gives us every good gift he is that good he is that amazing he loves you that much Ephesians 5, 4, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. Let there be thanksgiving. You know, we may not totally deny Christ as Gehazi did. He turned his back to God. He saw the things, the power of God, the witness of God, the witness of Elisha. And he chose money and things and the potential and he robbed the blessing of naaman to experience god's grace as a free gift and accepting payment in the name of elisha in the name of god he swore an oath he took the lord's name in vain he lied he coveted But we are all tempted to sin. Listen to what these verses are telling us. One of the greatest weapons you have against giving in to sin in your life is to give thanks, <laughs> to see God's goodness, to see what He has given you, and to take inventory. Thank Him. Thank him for his goodness. Thank him for his care for you, for his his overwhelming, bountiful gifts to you. Thank him for his saving grace, for his sanctification, his work in you, that he will complete it. Give him thanks. So our response, here's here's the last one. I had Romans 121, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Thankfulness, so important. As we people of faith anticipate God's fulfillment of all he has promised. So our response this morning, Jesus alone must be your hope in this life and the next. I know my pastor says that when he's baptizing people right he asked that question and i that came to mind as i was thinking about this jesus alone must be your hope in this life in the next for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry abba father the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also be glorified with him. Jesus alone must be your hope in this life and the next. Jesus alone deserves our worship. Live with an attitude of gratitude for what God has done for you and will do let's pray Heavenly Father what a story it's familiar but man you've used it to to show inconsistencies in my life and Lord I thank you for your forgiveness thank you for your word the majesty of it as it Reveals who you are. Your goodness. Your sovereignty. You alone as Savior. Father. What a glorious morning. As we have lifted up our voices to you. And I, f- I pray that each and every person here. Would repent of sin. Lord you, you called us to, to keep repenting. Keep repenting. As you And your Holy Spirit, convict us. And you conform us to the image of your Son. We thank you, Lord. In your name, amen.